2: Good morning. It's 8 30 on Monday, June 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show,
3: no peace! No peace!
2: No peace! protesters descend upon the capital city in numbers unseen since the Civil Rights era and how the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus is responding to their community's push for change. Plus, the Department of Health is releasing the names of long-term care facilities with suspected coronavirus outbreaks. We hear from those who care for residents about the decision. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thousands of protesters chanting no justice, no peace marched in downtown Jackson Saturday at the Black Lives Matter protest. The event organized by students was one of many throughout the country in the weeks following the death of George Floyd. The protesters marched from the governor's mansion to Jackson City Hall, calling on state and local leaders to make changes to end police violence and systemic racism. Jessica MacArthur of Jackson joined the march. She says the tone of the protest was positive, but tells our Kobe Vance the message cannot go unheard.
4: You know, it really does feel good. It is very emotional because it sucks that we even have to be here in 2020, even though our ancestors were here before. So we wouldn't have to do this today. But it is good that we have other people, not just black people out here, understanding the struggles that we go through in everyday life. And it does feel good that everyone is here supporting us.
1: And as you see this, what kind of change would you like to see come out of this uh, these protests, not just in Mississippi, but across the nation?
4: What I would like to see, and I know what our people would like to see, is that what you do for one, you do for all. People like to say um, that there's black-on-black crime, but guess what? If a black person kills a black person... That other person that did the crime is going to get punished. We just ask that with the proof that we're given, especially with having iPhones, that if you are shown killing someone, we want you to reap your sins that you have done. We want you to have consequences for your actions. And what's not happening is... We're seeing this on TV, on our phones, on social media, that people are dying at the hands of cops, at the hands of other civilians that are not people of color, and they're not getting, they're not reaping those consequences for their actions. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here.
1: Now what change would you like to see come out of this? You know, I'm sorry. Uh, do you think there's a? do you think now is a good time for change in Mississippi?
4: Yes, I I think it's a good time. It's past time for change. We can't afford to lose anybody else because people aren't ready. The government needs to get ready. Education system needs to get ready. Police need to get ready. Everyone needs to get ready. It's time out for just sitting and waiting on that right time. The time is now. Thank
1: you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Artist Christian Kay lives in Atlanta but was raised in Jackson. He says the protest was a reason to come home and support his childhood community in this effort to enact real change.
5: The history behind Mississippi and, you know, even, you know, through the slavery times and the Jim Crow laws, I feel like seeing a lot of this you know a lot of the people here today and it's so diverse the crowd is very diverse um, it's more than I could even imagine more than I ever expected would show up for Mississippi and show up for black people that live here because you know we do care about where we come from and we do care about our people and we care about everyone but at this time being you know black lives just aren't being protected as they should be and they aren't being valued as they should be and so you know I I don't want to go around just saying thank you to all the white people that are here, um, but I just feel like that's really, you know, a good thing for them to do, because, like I said, we've come a long way, but to, for Mississippi to be here right now and showing up is just it's amazing.
1: So what would you like to see next going into the next coming weeks, and then even in, even
5: like decades in the mm-hmm. future? Yeah, um, so I definitely want to see more people out in the polls voting i definitely want to see more people doing that because you know the protests are really good and they're they're pushing towards change but at the same time you know a second part of our voice is our vote and so if we don't vote then we can't expect to see the change that we want and another thing i guess would be uh just you know consequences from the police officers you know or anybody for that matter who has any type of hate crime against black people or people in general you know, they should definitely suffer consequences for what they, you know, do. That's very important to showing other people that this is not okay and that it it can't keep happening and you won't get a slap on the wrist just for, um, you know, for killing somebody or brutally, you know, harming them.
2: Before the masses descended upon the capital city Saturday, members of the Poor People's Campaign gathered outside of Attorney General Lynn Fitch's office Friday afternoon. Last week, Fitch dismissed the case against former police officer Canton Boykin. Boykin was charged with manslaughter in the 2015 shooting death of 26-year-old Ricky Ball, a black man from Columbus. Members of the human rights group brought a letter they tried to deliver to Fitch asking for an explanation for her decision, but security Turned them away. Katherine Davis, whose son Mark was also killed in a police shooting, was among those calling for answers. She shares her experience with our Kobe Vance.
6: Mark was traveling through Petal, Mississippi, and he got in a car accident. Uh, The details for me are sketchy. Uh, Know that he was killed by a police officer, he was shot three times in his chest his neck, and his back. Mark was on her arm. Mark was asking for help to go to the hospital, according to 911 calls. Instead, he was met with his death. And there are so many missing pieces to this story. I just want the truth to be told. I want a reinvestigation, a thorough investigation, into my child's death. Mark was the father of five girls. was married. Mark was a, a <laughs> gentle. So much is been said and not said. No cameras, no videos, no dash, police dash cams or body cams, none of that.
1: And two years later, without uh, and you haven't seen any movement on this. What does that feel like for you?
6: Three years later, I. I was so moved to tears because another man had to die. George Floyd had to die in front of a camera, in front of America, in front of the world, in order for them to refocus on Mark's death. I'm pleading, pleading with the Attorney General, please reopen this investigation. Please. Mark did not have to die. And why shoot him in his back? A person with their back to you is not a threat. What
1: was your reaction of, of this week, of all weeks, for the Attorney General to dismiss the case?
6: This, it just added to the sadness of it all. It just added to the heartbreak. It almost seemed as if I'm saying to myself, is it hopeless? How many men and women have to die unjustly at the hands of police officers before something is done?
1: And so as you see people out here today supporting your son, what does that feel like for you?
6: It feels good. I still have to admit that I'm not feeling any assurance but I am so grateful grateful for the support and I don't want another man to have to die that way we have got to stop this this isn't right what is it going to take people have died over and over again in front of videos so What is it going to
4: take?
6: Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us, facing the
2: members of the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus say they're hearing and feeling the cries for change within their communities. From prison reform to the health disparities prevalent throughout the coronavirus pandemic, black legislators have been searching for solutions to many of the injustices that their constituents face. With the killing of George Floyd amplifying those inequities, caucus member John Faulkner, a Democrat from Holly Springs, tells our Desiree Frazier, protests are the first step to making change real.
7: We just lost another member of our community uh, to a senseless killing. And we, we, we mourn with the family of George Floyd, uh, with his family and many other Americans across this country.
3: What do, you, what do you think it's going to take to move the needle forward on this issue? In the midst of this, we have not heard from Mississippi leadership in terms of anything that... Might be on the table to generate discussion for change?
7: Well, I think the first steps have already been taken with, with the protest, the peaceful protest that have happened around this country. So I think the first steps have already been taken. And now, with us coming, the members of the Black Caucus coming with this press conference today takes a step further. And we've let our colleagues know across the aisle that we're open, we're ready to have real discussions. Uh, to try to come up with solutions uh, to the problems we're faced with here in our state.
3: Are you hearing from your fellow legislators about this issue? Not. And I would say uh, white legislators.
7: No, not really, and not nearly as much as we would like to. But, you know, this is a, a difficult time for everybody, and sometimes you have to uh, look deep within yourself and find uh, a, a comfortable place where you can come out and have these discussions. So we, 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 we've asked them to uh, to let's talk about it. So hopefully, hopefully, they'll, they'll come forward real soon and, and, and we'll have a conversation.
3: Have you gotten a response? What has been the response?
7: Well, from my fellow colleagues, uh, uh, white colleagues, uh, not much response at this point.
3: And speaking potentially with leadership about bills that you want to bring forth, what kind of response are you
7: getting? Well, we, we haven't really got much of a response uh, uh, at this point. W- what I mentioned in the press conference, are uh, bills from the last few sessions that we've uh, introduced. We all have died in committee. But we're go- we looking to introduce more bills going forward uh, in the upcoming sessions, hopefully to answer some of these uh, problems we have. And we hoping by then the leadership will be prepared to, uh, to help move some of those forward.
3: In terms of the CARES Act, your thoughts on how that money can be used in any way related to helping those who are going through really, really tough times in the state?
7: Well, we, we've done some things uh, with a portion of the money from the CARES Act, right? and everybody knows we spent $300 million to help our small businesses in the state, but we have yet another $900 million to spend by the end of this year. So we're, we're having uh, discussions right now as to how we can help all mississippians so i'm pretty excited about that we are sitting down and working in a bipartisan fashion to get that done so we're pretty excited about that right now
3: what are some examples of things that you would like to see the money used for
7: well, of course, again, we're excited about the bill. We passed our to help small businesses. But there's other people that's hurting in our state that we need to uh, help. We need to help as it relates to public education, as it relates to health care. Uh, those are a couple of real areas that, that we need to uh, put some of that money toward.
3: Ultimately, do you think there is a will in Mississippi to systemically change policing?
7: That's a very good question. Uh, I'm not really sure... Uh, if it is or has been, I think now we are on the brink of having a real discussion about making sure that happened going forward i don 't think we will, i don't think we can no longer uh, uh, hide from the from the from the problem we have here in our state. I think we are at the boiling point, and I think finally we're going to have a real discussion about getting that done. but I would just say um, to uh, uh, citizens across uh, this country that 's out that's having the protest that we encourage people to exercise their constitutional rights. Uh, we want them to do it in a peaceful fashion. And then when this is over sooner or later, the protesting is going to end, but we don't want uh, Americans to forget how we got to this point. And we have uh, an opportunity come November to, to make sure that you put people in office, that is concerned about people. And you want to make sure you put people in office that's going to be concerned about the issues that mean the most to you. So I just don't want the people around this country to forget about what we're dealing with right now when it comes time to voting.
2: Representative John Faulkner is a Democrat from Holly Springs and a member of the Legislative Black Caucus. Coming up, the Department of Health is releasing the names of long-term care facilities with suspected coronavirus outbreaks. We hear from those who care for residents about that decision. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
0: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11, or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than half of coronavirus deaths in Mississippi have occurred in long-term care settings. And now, due to a court ruling, the public knows the name of each facility with a suspected outbreak, along with the number of employee cases, resident cases, and deaths at those facilities. Priya Chudumberum with the Kaiser Family Foundation tells our Ashley Norwood she is glad they're releasing more- more data on the impact COVID-19 is having in long-term care facilities.
0: Once the virus enters a facility, the reason that we see it spread so quickly is because these facilities are what we call congregate care settings. You have a lot of people packed into a space, and you have staff members going from resident to resident, helping them with things like medication management, uh, You know, helping them with medical equipment, and basically being in close contact with them. So, when you have sort of a step like that, the virus will spread pretty quickly. Now, that is just addressing sort of the spread of the virus. Now, the reason that we see so many deaths in these facilities is because the residents that live in the facilities themselves are incredibly vulnerable residents. They have chronic conditions. They're people with disabilities. They're the elderly, sort of really all of these populations that we know are are extremely susceptible to really the worst possible outcome for this
8: virus. So we know that um, there's been a big ask or push for um, the names of facilities where the cases have been found. We know that at least 50 percent of the deaths by COVID-19 in Mississippi have occurred in these kinds of settings. But now that we yeah. have the numbers, you know, um, what stood out to you? What are you seeing? What's the biggest takeaway?
0: Sure. sure. So we had heard over the last few days that Mississippi was going to be releasing facility level data. And, um, you know, it, it's great to see that we have that data available now. And, uh, really upon first glance, there are two things that stand out. The first is that they actually, uh, the list of facilities that they report is actually smaller, shorter than we would have expected. Uh, last week, Mississippi was reporting about 127 facilities in the state had outbreaks of COVID-19. This list actually only has 116 facilities on it. So uh, it's about nine fewer facilities than we were expecting. Now, something that we could attribute that to is that Mississippi appears to only be presenting data on active outbreaks. So they might not be including facilities where outbreaks have been resolved. So that was one thing. The other thing that stood out to me is that they're actually now reporting um, data on staff cases. Which we did not have any data on before. Um, So if you look at the data from last week to this week, it would look like, you know, the number of cases in long-term care facilities has nearly doubled. But in fact, Mississippi is now reporting data on staff members.
2: Priya Chidambaram is with the Kaiser Family Foundation. The data release, however, is not free of skepticism. Tony Merrick is president of the Mississippi Health Care Association. He acknowledges the data is public information, but also says facilities have always informed those who need to know of cases of transmissions.
9: The family members and the people that need to know are made aware of what's going on in that facility. We're bound by law to keep them updated on any changes in their loved uh, one status, uh, their medical status, their social status, anything that changes with them, we're bound to, by law, to notify that family member. So the people that need to know uh, have been notified and they've been kept in the loop. Um, you know, I personally have mixed feelings on that. Uh, of course, it's public records, um, and so it is released and it's out there. Um, so anyone that wants to go online to look at that uh can see the numbers uh some numbers are higher than others. I don't think that it's all i don't think it's a reflection of the building's uh care in all cases or in any case and um that's really. All I can say is it's there. Uh, you're, free, you're free to Google it and, and look it up. And uh, but the people that the people that needed to know this information already knew this information.
8: Let me ask you this, Tony. Um, now that you bring that up, uh, what else is concerning you about this information being made public?
9: Well, I mean, I think it's fodder for lots of speculation. Uh, I think nursing homes throughout this nationally uh, have uh, gotten a bad rap uh, for COVID. It just so happens that the population that I referred to earlier that we care for is the population that's most susceptible to this. They would have had the same outcomes if they had been living in their their physical home in their community. Their age and their uh, comorbidities is the delineating factor in why COVID affects them differently. Uh,
8: We know that uh, the governor has announced, along with the state health officer, Dr. Thomas Dobbs, the testing Mm -hmm. of all workers and residents in these kinds of settings. Um, Is there any information or any update you could provide about maybe how... According to what you know, how that's going?
9: Of course. Uh, the National Guard uh, was assisted by the Mississippi State Department of Health, and they, I think that they had until the end of um, May to have all of the Mississippi homes tested, and I believe that they met that goal. Uh, I, I had them test my facility personally. I was here other day that they tested, and we organized it. It was a very, very organized move. It was the National Guard's assistance uh, was invaluable that day. It uh, they were in and out. There were no adverse effects. Uh, they were a very, like I said, a very organized group. And then it gave us a baseline of actually where every home in Mississippi stood. That was employees and residents. So it was a very helpful tool.
2: Tony Hambrick Hambrick is the president of the Mississippi Healthcare Association. Mississippi currently has 17,270 reported cases of COVID-19 with 817 related deaths. 425 of those deaths have occurred in long-term care facilities. The Department of Health is also reporting 113 active suspected outbreaks within those facilities. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.